welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today, I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Elizabeth Williamson. She's going to share her journey and her insights to find a way or make a way when things really get tough and the profound effect on her own life. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hello, Bev. Pleasure to be here speaking with you. Oh, it's great to have you. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, Bev, I've been uh, for 30 years involved in um, counselling and training and working with people in all sorts of ways generally around relationships. Sometimes that's been around personal relationships, relationships at work, relationships in the community. And essentially, when you're working with people around their relationships, you're dealing with how to resolve conflicts or misunderstandings or tensions. I started my career many years ago in community work and and then moved on into counselling in the early days when recovering from childhood sexual abuse was just starting to be a focus of a lot of counselling work and we were understanding a lot more about that. I then moved on to working in a domestic violence service where I managed a domestic violence service for about six years and that really put me at the forefront of women's experiences of conflict and of you know the devastating consequences that has in the lives of women and children and men. And from there I, I moved on to working with managers coaching around managing difficult people. I have a passion about working with couples and families about managing conflict in our homes because if we can change the stories of our own family life, a lot of us grew up in families that are very difficult and we haven't learned ways to manage conflict well and communicate clearly about what we want. And we bring that forward into our, our new loves and then we we find ourselves behaving in ways that seems to replicate exactly what we weren't decided we weren't going to do. You know, I made this decision. I wasn't going to behave like my dad or my mum or whatever. And then I find myself doing exactly what I said I wouldn't do. So I have a real passion about creating a legacy for the future in our families and for our children. And that passion, I think, also is about our workplaces. And so I really uh, want to contribute through coaching and training to creating workplaces where, you know, the inevitable conflicts and tensions uh, are not avoided or uh, escalated, but are seen as really creative opportunities um, so that you know, the difficult conversations can be had and can be seen as uh, something really interesting rather than something that we avoid or bring lots of fear up for us. Mm, that's fabulous. And so let's talk a bit more about you. How would you describe your journey? Well, Bev, like many of us, I, you know, I've been very consumed in my career and had busy life. I was a sole parent for many years, um, juggling work and staying fit and home life. And I had some just ongoing niggling pain that over the years increased uh, in my neck and shoulders. And for some time, um, the chiropractor or the physio or the masseuse would just say, oh, look, you know, Liz, you're uh, 
you, you know, you're sitting too long at the desk, it's inevitable we get this sort of pain. Um, we just need to treat it and look after it. But the pain would continue and uh, I mean, I'd be going to the gym or I'd be at the chiropractor or at the physio. Um, I'd have a treatment. I'd get a little bit of progress, but then I'd be back with the pain again. And so for many years I had ongoing and increasing pain until it became so chronic and almost debilitating. And I think I have a very high pain threshold, unfortunately, because it took me some time before I went to my GP um, and said, this is just getting really uncomfortable. I can't live with this anymore. We'd, we'd talked about the physio a few years back, but it hadn't really changed anything. So in 2010, everything changed for me. I was suddenly diagnosed with a tumour in my spinal cord, a very rare tumour that had been causing the pain. And um, within a month from that diagnosis, I had uh, very complex surgery to where they have to cut the spinal cord to actually get inside to remove the, the tumour, which was growing and pushing apart the, uh, the nerves in the cord. So the tumour had impacted an area from about my third vertebrae down to that, that bump on the nape of the neck. Uh, so quite about a, you know, about a good uh, 10 centimetres, I imagine, of, of my spinal cord was impacted. And in some areas, it, it's paper thin now. And we didn't know what would happen after that surgery. I didn't know what would happen my daughter was just about to leave to go overseas for 12 months and do some volunteer work in Jakarta. That was a really tense time and we had to make all sorts of decisions. So I woke up after about a seven hours of surgery not being able to move, in, still with intense pain and with uncertainty about my future. And there's, you know, there's such a benefit in naivety sometimes because if I had really understood what the progress would be post-surgery, I would, I don't think I would have managed, but I was very naively confident that I would be just fine. And I thought relearning to walk was just a bit like when, uh, you know, we have a tingle in your legs and then numb in the morning and the feeling comes back. That's what I thought would be happening for me. I was faced with grueling and ongoing rehabilitation that I had never expected. I thought that I would as we all do when we wake up, you know, with a numb toe in the morning or numb legs in the morning, I thought feeling and sensation would just come back. I didn't understand it would be such work for uh, four months in hospital before I could uh, come home in a wheelchair and, uh, and then for about 19 months of about six hours a week of intense physiotherapy. So I was left unable to, to move from my shoulders down and uh, very slowly I gained the ability to move one toe and then lift a knee, and then learn to sit, and then very, very slowly learn the fundaments, the rudiments of walking, all the things that, you know, you watch little children do at uh, 12 months old. I was relearning at the age of uh, 50. It took more courage than I could have understood at the time. Um, it took more humor than I could have understood at the time, and uh, and more sadness, you know, really having to understand grief and loss in a new way. One of the vivid moments for me very, very on when I was in hospital was being showered. Um, and, you know, there's not many people that have seen me naked who I don't know and love. But when you're showered by someone you don't know in a hospital and you can't move your body, it, and, and they'd leave me in the room to, to practice a few things in, in the shower room. So I had a few moments just once a day. And I would cry. I, I made a decision at that time that I would 
I wouldn't think. I wouldn't, because I didn't trust what I would think. I would just stay being sad and cry and just be with the experience of of grief. And that was a really important thing to learn, that there are emotions and difficult experiences we push away. But when we when we are mindful of them and with that experience, they transform. And so I would have that daily 10 minutes of tears. And then I made a decision that I would try and be the positive person in the ward and the positive person in the gym and focus on not only myself, but other people. So um, I, I think I achieved that a lot of the time, but it was just an unbelievable experience. Um, I now have partial paralysis. I moved from an electric wheelchair to a, a manual wheelchair to not needing the wheelchair to sit in, but not needing it to permanently sit in, but needing to take the manual wheelchair out with me in public because it was the only chair I could sit in. So I no longer have um, control of my core stomach muscles, so I can't support my back, and I have limited mobility in one in my right leg, loss of sensation in various parts of my body and legs, and a left hand that has neuropathic pain. So if I touch cold metal um, or anything rough with my left hand, it's extraordinarily painful. It's impossible to describe. It's like white electric pins and needles. Or if the temperature gets too cold, I can't regulate my body temperature anymore. So I have to put my hand in a glove and then warm up my body to manage pain. So I'm left with ongoing chronic pain, but I now understand it so much better. I moved from the wheelchair um, to crutches to walking sticks to now I have uh, uh, one of those Nordic walking poles, which I use to, to move about with and to stay independent with. My life is really, as I move about, I I need to look at what chair I sit in because I can sit in so few. So I wander around with a bunch of inflatable cushions to make uh, the world fit me more easily. And um, very slowly I I return to work. And now, of course, I'm working in my business, which I've just launched a few months ago. So it's been a long, slow journey back. One of the really interesting experiences I had during rehab was understanding literally more about neuroplasticity. I had uh, studied it as a therapist and I used it in my work with clients, but I actually got to experience what it means when I was in rehab. So there were times when I was really trying to learn a very small muscle movement in the early days when I could, couldn't walk. Um, and it might have been just the sensation of putting my heel to the floor or finding my foot or getting a momentary sense of balance. One of the things that happened was that I, I, I really couldn't remember the sensation of a movement. I'd almost lost the memory of it. And, but I would get the movement and then all of a sudden I would feel the memory come back. I would feel the sensations almost physically as nerve messages flowed from my leg or my hip up my back, up my spine, and then hit that memory in my head. And I would feel literally what neuroplasticity means to have cognition, to have the nerves firing, to have the sensation in my body, proprioception, and then to be able to put that into practice. So I could feel the linkage and the healing literally happen. It's an astounding experience. It happens occasionally every now and again when I'm now in rehab, when I, I click a muscle that I hadn't been using properly and I'll just get a a total sensation of 
oh, I know what that feels like. I remember how that worked. And I get the sensation of the the nerves flowing through my body as something works properly. It's an astounding experience. It's fascinating. Incredible tenacity and courage you demonstrate there, Elizabeth. I'm really interested in understanding what skills you've developed or lessons you may have learned to improve your well-being over time. One of the most important skills I've learned is that determination needs lots of laughter and a little bit of competition and a little bit of anger. One of the things would happen when I was in the gym in the early days would I would see someone doing something I couldn't do. And just to understand how long it took me to learn to do things, I sat on a fit ball, one of those big round inflatable balls, for about six months just trying to lift my right leg and get my foot off the floor about two inches. It took me six months to learn to do that. And I would see someone do something that I couldn't do and I would get really cranky and feel defeated and um, jealous. I'd have all these really awkward feelings. And then I would laugh at myself and just decide to try and do it. And um, I'd cheer them. So I had to make this sort of decision quite frequently to work out how to bring creativity into the really difficult experiences I was having. Um, I also had a reputation for falling because my I, I had very poor balance and it was even worse back then. And I joke now that I, I walk like I'm drunk when I'm sober. Well, I look, walked back then like I was <laughs> four or five or 17 sheets to the wind. And so uh, we just made, we made jokes about how many times I would almost fall over or fall into the wall or not, you know, catch myself. So bringing some humour to that was really, really important. Uh, the other thing I think was um, that I learnt was that chronic pain, you know, our initial response to any pain is fear. We're wired through our stress response and our autonomic nervous system to immediately feel fear or, and be defensive, which means we can also be aggressive um, when we experience pain. And when you have chronic pain, that's the first response. And I remember talking to a mentor of mine saying, I don't want to live with pain, this fear all the time. And I don't know how to manage my pain well. And his challenge was, well, you're just going to have to be creative. You're just going to have to find something more interesting. And I remember being quite confused for some time, but he was absolutely right. So when we find something creative in the experience of, of the, the painful moment, when we can see something useful in it or, or bring some humor to it or just challenge ourselves, then we move out of fear and into something really valuable. And so we do have a choice about how we manage chronic pain, but it is a daily choice. And for people living with a disability or with chronic pain, it's often a, a choice they have to make several times a day. I wake up in the morning, I, I have, I'm usually in a bit of pain. I have to wake up and then decide what attitude will I take today? So I've made quite a habit of before I get out of bed, um, noticing the pain, being mindful of it, and then lying there for a few still breaths and deciding my attitude for the day. Um, am I going to notice I need to be a little bit generous with myself? How will I look after myself during the day so that I'm not feeling defeated and um, resentful? That said, I do believe there's a place for which I, what I call the art of sadness. I think I talked about crying in the shower when I was in hospital. And what I learned from that is that it's really important when you're faced with a disability or a challenge that is ongoing and, and sometimes feels insurmountable that we um, 
we give ourselves time for the difficult feelings. And so, you know, I'll have five minutes a day where I just feel like I'm sick of this. I, I want to go back to my old life. I want my old body back. I'm cranky. And I joke with my friends about being a cranky cripple. And then I'm fine. And I just have that five minutes of, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm miserable. I'm annoyed or whatever is happening for myself. And then I move on into the decision I made while I was in that shower, which was that I wasn't going to settle for a second best life. I was whatever my physical possibilities were going to be, I was going to live the very best life I could. And I've taken that forward. And I use that in my counselling too to help people just live with very difficult situations that come into their lives so that we're not, you know, we get a lot of pressure to be positive and upbeat and optimistic, but we do need to face that that takes a lot of work and there's lots of value to be found in the difficult experiences that we have. So so that's that's one thing I learnt. The other thing I learnt was just to have fun. So at one stage I had to take a wheelchair out because it was the only thing I could sit in, but I didn't actually need to sit in it. I would push it around. And I decided I wanted to go to this cute little bar. I used to love going out to listen to jazz and music in, in the city. And uh, no one was available, so off I went one evening, Friday night. You know how busy Friday nights are. With my fold-up wheelchair, I walked up to this tiny little bar, and the bouncer looked at me and he said, well, what are you going to do with that? And I said, well, I'm taking it inside. And he said, I'm not sure how you're going to do that. And I looked and the bar was packed. And it was also one of those ones where everyone was sitting on stools. So if I sat on the chair, I would have been staring at everyone's belt buckles. <gasps> but he folded the chair up and took, we walked upstairs to this little um, mezzanine and I found a spot there and he folded, I sat for a while and then I found a banquette seating I could sit in and so we folded the wheelchair up. And um, for some months I just took the wheelchair out with me and, and what I learned is that Men love to carry a wheelchair upstairs. They are so gallant. They race to do it, and they're so proud of themselves. So I would never have known that uh, a man wants to be chivalrous and um, gallant with a wheelchair if I hadn't gone out and, and challenged myself with being embarrassed and found that um, it was something we could all laugh about at the same time. So I think one of the other things I learned is that um, – when you challenge yourself, you find wonderful challenges with other people as well. A fabulous mindset and attitude to every day. And you mentioned waking up with pain and then making choices so you can honour that and work within your constraints. I'm wondering, life is different for you. Mm -hmm. So what have you realised about your priorities at this time? What I've realised is that that decision to live the best life possible means just very small daily courage. You know, we look at people that have faced really, you know, uh, amazing things, you know, the heroes and heroines that we think about, but really we're all doing that in our lives and we need to honour how we do that. It, it takes focus. Um, I need to plan a lot in my day. Um, I need to know when to stop and rest so that I can manage the pain. Sometimes people do not understand what I'm dealing with, so I need to present it with humour because people do get defensive. People don't understand disability. I need to be able to manage my own inner battle, um, that tension between I'm sick of this, I, I want my old life back, you know, this is unfair, um, with actually, you know, there's statistics out there. Someone is going to get a disability. Someone is going to have cancer. 
someone is going to be uh, challenged and um, it just happens to be me. I don't take it personally. I take it as well. There were the cards I'm given. As each challenge comes up, I use it as an opportunity to uh, grow and grow in my relationships with other people and and understand more about life really. One of the amazing outcomes of this for me has been to understand so much more about compassion. You know, when we're faced with um, tragedy or um, devastating experiences, we can withdraw from people or we can embrace. And, and there's always a tension too, I think, you know, when you're dealing with pain or difficulty to withdraw or to embrace. And embrace is the creative place to be. So firstly, I received amazing support from friends and family when I was in hospital and when I came home. Just I've never felt so loved and so supported in my life. And I was surprised by the people who showed up and how generously they showed up. Uh, I had one friend who drove 45 minutes each way to my house to clean for me once a week because I couldn't do it, take the pressure off our family, um, even though she has her own cleaner and didn't need to do that. And she made that commitment every week for three months. Couldn't have imagined someone doing that. And I was just so pleased. Another friend when I was in hospital who drove, I get back the same time, 40 or 50 minutes to bring me food every day so I didn't have to eat the hospital food. And in fact, in that four months, I think I ate three hospital meals because the rest of the time, lovely friends would bring food or stuff I could put in the freezer or they'd actually bring a three-course meal and sneak in a bit of wine looking like water so that we might. (laughs) I mean, four months is a long time in hospital, I can tell you. So uh, people just were delightful. Another friend, uh, when I was doing the outpatient rehab for that 19 months, almost every Monday took me out for lunch pick me up from rehab, we would go out for lunch and uh, it was that, that was a wonderful way for her, to help me learn to be confident about going out, initially with a wheelchair, then with all sorts of gigantic bits of apparatus and then finally with cushions. It really helped me regain my courage to, to move confidently in the world. And I guess what I've learned from that as well or what I know I've learned from that in my professional life and in my personal life is that Having faced these challenges, I'm so much more compassionate to the people I work with. When I'm working with someone around their grief or their challenges or someone in their family who's dealing with a chronic illness, I can speak from my experience, but I will understand that battle between needing time for sadness and grieving and how that is often a daily experience or something we need to be mindful of, as well as being mindful of being optimistic, being grateful you know, having courage. We need to have rich full lives which are full of the dark and the light. The other priority is that it's just made me passionate about my work. I had been working part-time and had a little small private practice on the side, uh, counselling and doing a little bit of training every now and again. But it's made me realise that um, I have a very expensive body to look after. It's very difficult in the workplace with a disability still. In Australia, and so I've made a commitment to building my business and doing that courage- courageously um, as someone with a disability, because I do want to talk about conflict resolution, and I do want to use my experiences about helping us create rich relationships with ourselves, so we can um, stop our inner conflicts in our families, in our workplaces, and bringing you know the whole range of my experiences to bear with that. 
Would you like to share your resolutions for 2017, Elizabeth? So for me, with resolutions for this year going forward, I think that one of the things I really want to do more successfully is look at how fear stops me from doing things I really want to do in my business. Because what I've learned through my rehabilitation and and coming back to some of the things I've been able to achieve uh, since 2010, it's an interesting battle between what we're frightened of. I mean, I'm often frightened of the weather because when it's cold, I'm in a lot of pain. And yet, you know, I avoid going out and I go out and realize, oh, it's nowhere near as cold as I think it will be. And I have been able to do some exciting things in the last couple of years, which I'll tell you about in a minute. So when I look at the fear, it usually stops me being creative and stops me stepping forward into what I really want to do. So I'm going to have a little conversation with that each morning about whatever I've got to do in my day with my business. And uh, and then I'm going to put that fear to bed and step forward into that creative space. Um, so being mindful of looking after, you know, that self-talk that we have and listening Understanding what that's about has been really, really important for me. Um, because I look, you know, I was able to um, two or three years down the track um, take a trip to South Africa um, and go on safari. Um, I had to fly first class. I got a, we had to pay a bit of extra to do that because at that stage I couldn't sit up, so I had to lie down for the whole trip. But I went on safari with lots of um, seating equipment and with my wheelchair. And if I'd not face that fear, I wouldn't have done that. And um, last year, I um, really challenged myself and I climbed Borobudur with two big walking poles to get me up each step, which is, and Borobudur is the largest Buddhist monument in Indonesia, I think one of the largest in the southern hemisphere. Some of the steps are really huge. And I just took my time and I climbed the 10 levels. I felt so proud of myself. And I keep that memory with me that, that even though I really struggle to move, I can do something, you know, that other people find challenging as well. So for this year, I'm going to set myself another big goal, something physical that I want to achieve. I haven't decided quite what that is. There'll be something that'll stretch my ability about what I think I can do with my body and uh, something perhaps exciting overseas that I can can travel to do. So stairs are always a big challenge for me. So Climbing a monument might be the thing I go for, somewhere interesting. So they're my resolutions. So look at fear differently and bring courage and creativity into what I'm doing. And to grow my business, I really want it to, Elizabeth Williamson Solutions, to be a really vibrant, um, positive consultancy. And I'm very keen to speak on stage. I've started doing that. So again, that's another challenge of standing on stage and wobbling and trying to look professional. Um, so I have a joke that I start off with saying that I, uh, I have a conflict with gravity and you'll see me <laughs> wobble as well as, you know, other conflicts we have in life. And I've decided if I fall down while I'm speaking, I'm going to simply say, we're now speaking from the floor. So <laughs> you're, oh, You really are using your humour really well. <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, what, that's right. What else can one do? So, um, so they're my they're my New Year resolutions to really step up and step out. Beautiful. So, I'm going to ask you, what are your tips for living fabulously, Elizabeth? I think we all face challenges, or we see other people facing challenges, and our compassion with ourselves is first. 
We really have to live our lives being our very best friend and looking at ourselves in the mirror each morning and making a decision whether we start that internal conversation with a whole lot of grumbles about wrinkles and aging and body weight and disappointment and resentfulness and just avoiding the whole thing and not looking, or whether we're going to look in the mirror and smile that we're here for another day, that this is our very best friend we're seeing in front of us. And together, we're going to make ourselves, you know, me, myself and I, we're going to make the day ahead meaningful, meaningful the people uh, that we meet and meaningful for ourselves. So on the days that I'm really struggling to keep my positive perspective, I have a deal that my job is to make 10 people smile, in particular 10 people I don't know very well, the, the more difficult people. And that can be as simple as smiling at the barista who makes your coffee and saying that's fabulous and making sure you make eye contact. It can be smiling at someone in the street. It can be deciding that you're going to ring a friend who really does need a little bit of encouragement. There are 101 ways we can share that smile and it lifts our mood when we do it. It lifts my mood when I do it. So I know if I'm struggling, even though all of my pull will be to withdraw and avoid people, if I reach out and just very simply make you know five or ten people smile, my mood will be better and I'll, I'll have raised my head and raised my eyes and raised my attitude and my emotions. So I, I did that for a long time when I was really finding life very difficult. That was my goal. You can find Elizabeth at www.elizabethwilliamsonsolutions.com and search for the same thing on Facebook. Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing your journey. And I would say inspiring us to be tenacious and courageous to live the best life. There were a couple of takeaways that I had and you spoke about working out how to bring creativity into your well-being journey. And you said something which I may not quote you correctly on, but determination needs lots of laughter, some anger and some fun. And to me, that's just exactly whatever we're facing in life, no matter how great or small, when we put a new lens on things, we can actually change the outcome for ourselves. You also spoke about the art of sadness. And you mentioned that there is a lot of value in difficult situations or emotions. So sometimes sitting in that space, so your 10 minutes in the shower was your commitment to just processing that emotion. And then you mentioned daily courage. And there were a few things that you mentioned there, but one was about focus, planning and self-care. So the self-care that you mentioned is also when you've, you've just talked about it in your tips for living fabulously is that compassion for yourself, but also nurturing. So thank you so much for being with me on the show today. Bev, it's been a real privilege. Thank you so much. I have some really exciting news I want to share with you. I'll be writing my book in the first quarter of next year. Woohoo! I was accepted on the 90-day book writing course with Kathy Miles Wheeler and will be supported by the fabulous Karen Gunton. She's a coach and author of The Lighthouse Revolution. So in order to achieve my dream of writing a non-fiction book, I'll be moving to fortnightly shows in 2017. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you for being such a fabulous listener and I wish you and your loved ones a safe and happy festive season. May joy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Thank you so much for listening and I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev 
or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website, www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.